Welcome to another episode of The Word is Enough. Today, we are talking about the fall. Last week, we left worshiping God for all His goodness and glory that was on display in the creation story. This episode, we will take a closer look at humanity, but in that, we will learn more about God and able to end another episode with many praises to God. Also, our special guest this week is Shannon Pierce. I am so grateful for her friendship and how she holds me accountable to live by faith through her example and speaking truth. She is a woman passionate about ministering to women of faith and helping them grow toward maturity. She also serves on the worship team at her local church and works as an administrative assistant at Christian Missions Unlimited. God has blessed Shannon with these wonderful gifts and she uses them to serve diligently and the church is blessed in turn. Okay, the fall, let's get started. Genesis chapter 3. Now, the servant was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. The eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So last week we talked about the creation story and how God is creator and has all authority and he is good and orderly and personal and present in creation. He is worthy of our praise and he is worthy of all honor and glory. And then we get to chapter 3. And very quickly, we learn that Adam and Eve had this beautiful relationship with God where God would come and walk with them in the garden and they had fellowship and sweet, sweet delight in one another. And the serpent comes and he comes to tempt Eve. He does it in a unique way, right? He, he speaks some things that are true, right? He says that their eyes will be opened. And then we learn in verse seven that their eyes were opened. So he spoke truth in that. But where Eve thought she was going to be receiving this knowledge that would bring wisdom, it was a knowledge that really led to her depravity and her recognition of her true nature But not only did Eve desire the fruit because it would make her wise, it also says that it was a delight to the eyes. You see, God was her delight, and now she took her eyes off the Creator and put it on the creation. And then we see later on in verse 6 that she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. See, Adam was right there, and he ate of the fruit too. Both are now guilty before God. They've disobeyed God and broken this relationship that was so beautiful and one that they really cherished. And immediately it says their eyes were opened and they realized their nakedness. And they put fig leaves on themselves for loincloths. They did not like being naked. They realized that 
it was uncomfortable now to be in their own skin where before they loved being in their own skin. But God, right? I love all the verses where anytime something bad's happening, humanity is screwing up. And then usually there's a verse, but God. And this says in verse 9, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? God sought them out. He says to them, he says, Did you eat of the tree? He doesn't ask them as if he doesn't know, but he wants them to confess it. And what do they do in response? Do they do they immediately repent and confess their sins and ask for forgiveness? No. The blame game starts to happen, right? Adam's first response is, The woman whom you gave me, she gave me the fruit. So Adam blames two people. Adam not only believes Eve for giving him the fruit, but he blames God because God gave Eve to him. So he's blaming God and and he is blaming Eve. And then Eve's response, right? Eve says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So now Eve blames the serpent. The one who tempted her is now to blame. Not that she had fallen into temptation and given into temptation, but now the serpent is is to blame. Then God lays out the consequences, right? He lays out the consequence for the serpent and for Eve and for Adam. And Eve's consequence was that childbearing would now be painful and that she would always long for her husband's position. And Adam's work now in the garden would be toilsome to him instead of a joy as it was before. But let's focus in on the serpent's consequence just for a second. Towards the end in verse 15, it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see already in the third chapter of the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, we see Jesus would be the one to bruise the head of Satan and Satan would bruise his heel. Jesus would die on the cross, but the grave would not hold our Lord. The grave could not hold our God and he would rise again. So we see that right there in the beginning that Satan and humanity would always be at war. It says enmity, that we would always be against one another and and it would be this struggle and this battle. But in the end, God will win. And we can we can trust that God fulfills his promises. He has fulfilled every promise thus far and he will continue continue to do that. Then in verse 20, we see God making a sacrifice for Adam and Eve. He didn't want them to be ashamed of their nakedness. But now that they they were, that this was a re- new reality for them, he created garments of skin and clothed Adam and Eve. We just see God's grace and his mercy in this moment. We see already that God's goodness will not be thwarted by man's sin or or anything that we that we do. And then right here in verse 24, he drove out the man and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see God puts them out of the garden and although death was not immediate for Adam and Eve, they would know death in the future because of their sin. But God in his grace and his mercy, he is patient and he extends their life as a result um, of God's sacrifice. Um, Nothing that Adam and Eve could do to reconcile this relationship, but God made a way. And he made that sacrifice for them and clothed them and, and he put them out of the garden. 
Ultimately, what do we learn from this passage? Two things stand out pretty clear. First is that pain, sorrow, fear, tragedy, and death are a result of sin fracturing not only humanity, but the whole earth. Romans 8, 18 through 25 says it like this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So when we experience pain and sadness and fear, we can trust that God's plan is to restore all things. What man has broken, God will redeem and restore. Second thing that we learn is that God takes sin seriously, and so should we. We can learn a lot about taking sin seriously from David's response to Nathan as he sleeps with Bathsheba and gives the order that is a death sentence for her husband. 2 Samuel 12 is where we find Nathan's rebuke of David. Nathan comes to David and, and shares a story about a man who selfishly steals from a poor man. And David responds this way in verse 5, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And Nathan says in verse 7, You are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives in your arms and gave you a house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would have added to you as much more. You have despised the word of God to do what is evil in his sight. And this is Nathan's response to David. You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Immediately after... Nathan rebukes him. David says in verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. See, David recognized right away when confronted with his sin that he had sinned against God and he knew that his relationship with God was severed. It was broken and that death was imminent. Even still, he turns toward God and repents of his sin. Unlike Adam did, he doesn't hide or run away, but he turns towards God. And this is what we see at the end of verse 13. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. But God, again we see God swooping in to rescue. David deserved death, but God forgave him. So like David, we should take sin seriously. 
It should break our hearts. But instead of running away from God like Adam, we run to Him. And in Him, we will be met with His loving kindness, His grace, and His mercy. I really hope you enjoyed our look into chapter 3 of Genesis. I cannot wait for you to hear from Shannon and how the Word of God has transformed her life. So let's get to her interview now. Hey, Shannon. Glad you're on with us today. Oh, yes. Me too. I always enjoy our conversations and the way we can build each other up. So I'm just real happy to be a part of this. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I know the listeners will be glad to have heard from you and and it'll be it'll be a good time no doubt so we have been talking a lot recently about discipleship women and the bible we we talk about all sorts of things uh, often but i really wanted to ask you you've used a lot of bible study materials over the years when leading women's life groups and things like that what made you take this approach to go to the Word of God, kind of with that approach um, from Jen Wilkin, Women of the Word. Yes. So over the years, you know, I have learned from some great and gifted teachers and, you know, those have been very influential. However, I did find myself um, looking for application or seeking knowledge. I even got to a point where I was maybe just answering my study guides for the discussion, knowing that, Um, I have to be prepared. You know, some points would sting or encourage, but it didn't change me. It didn't forever change me. But God's word does. It is alive and it is active. The Holy Spirit ministers through it. You know, my mind is um, renewed and it enables me to to have his desires and to desire to do good work. Um, Hebrews 4 12, you know, talks about the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating through bone and marrow, through spirit and soul. It can um, cut through our our ideas and to the deepest part of our heart and change us. And so um, it has just radically changed my faith. Um, Women in the word in particular was what started that because it is getting in the word. And um, Leanne Wilkins giving us a Bible study method on how to do that. I mean, it's, it is just totally transformed. Now, you know, I see the change that has happened in my perspective and in my heart. And um, it's just become more fruitful. These, these words are hidden into my heart instead of how they were before. Good notions that I'd like to have, but they didn't change me in the same way that God's word does. Shannon, that is such golden wisdom. I hope everyone soaked up all of those words because you are so right. You know, the Word of God is living and active, and it brings about um, the intentions of our heart. It reveals to us who we are before God, and that, that leads us to the throne of grace where we can find mercy and forgiveness for our sins. And we don't really have that when we're studying maybe someone else's opinion about the Bible, which that, like you said, can be so helpful for us in our journey and so beneficial in growing us into the likeness of God and kind of motivating motivating us and seeing that example of someone studying the Word. But it's just not the same as really studying it for yourself and letting the Word of God transform your heart and mind, whereas before it might bring about, like you said, a desire 
to do God's will and to, to be with him and to worship him and to obey him. But only the word is life changing. Only the word changes us from the inside out. And we are forever changed by that. Absolutely. Well, one thing that we have also talked about a lot and that you have really encouraged me in my walk with God and really um, held me accountable in a lot of ways that having a set aside time isn't, you know, we can't always do that, but if that's our goal, it really helps. So how do you keep a daily rhythm of being in the word. Yes. Well, goes back to the, this woman of the word method. Um, she, she says patience is required. And so when we continue to come to the word and read and read and over and over, we're going to read it. We just discover more and more. Um, but it wasn't, um, an easy thing, you know, especially before COVID, you know, all habits take persistence, but, um, Life before COVID for me in particular, it was just very constant, on the go, all the time. And I knew that if I didn't schedule this time to be still with God and be into his word, it wasn't going to happen. It definitely wasn't going to happen by accident. It needed to be something that that I prioritized and put on a schedule. And so it started with simply setting my alarm to get up earlier um, it sure is nice to hit the snooze and to sleep longer, but um, after, you know, a month or so of doing it, it just became so precious. The quietness, you know, was it perfect? No, no, there's still distractions that happen. You know, sometimes they're environmental, like um, I have pets, so my dogs or family wakes up early, but other times, you know, it could be the busyness in my mind, ready to go ahead and tackle tasks that I know I have for the day. And sometimes I find myself like, how did I just get on my Facebook feed? I thought I was thought I was looking to do a cross reference here. So, I mean, it's not a perfect, unattainable thing. It is just a daily persistence. It's just the patience sitting with it. And it's so precious when we discover more richness each time we come to the text. And I love that. I love that we take time and we stay in the same scripture for a long period of time before I could read a scripture and I would look for, what does this tell me? How can I apply this to my life today? Or looking for a certain encouragement that I needed, but um, doing this method of just picking, we're going through this whole book of the Bible and asking the Lord to reveal to us who he is and what's his plan. And um, then, you know, after I observe what the text is saying and and then understand what the text is meaning, then I can apply it to my life. It does take, you know, effort. It doesn't come by just quickly reading it one time or one day. It just became a precious um, excitement of what is going to be new and revealed to me today that I didn't see yesterday. You brought up a lot of good, good points that I know are helpful for a lot of people listening because this is an area where a lot of us struggle to have consistency, to have that rhythm. And what I hear you saying is that it's just persistent. It's not perfect, which is a huge encouragement to me personally because as a mother of two young children, three and one, they are always around. And if I'm at home, there's really no quiet moment for me but that's okay in this season recognizing that it's okay that maybe it's not always quiet but if I'm diligent and just persist 
and value that, the richness of the text, like you were saying, reveals to me who God is, and that's why I'm coming to it. I'm just coming to hear from God, and that can be just done in the daily rhythms of my life, and I just I just think that's valuable. But also something that you're bringing up is the women of the word method, and I think a lot of people are like, well, Hannah, what is that? So real quick, I'm going to break that down for everybody. That way they can kind of just know what we're talking about. So Shannon and I have been doing the women of the word method for a year and a half or so, I feel like. And it's just based on this book Jen Wilkin wrote called Women of the Word, How to Study the Bible with Both Your Heart and Your Mind. And it's just a simple, helpful book. I would encourage anybody to go read it. She gives us those five P's. And I'll I'll actually let you talk about those because you explain those really well. But the method is just observation, interpretation, application. And she helps us break that down by asking the question, what does this say? Observe the text. What words are repeated? What commands are being talked about? What attributes of God are you seeing? What, What verse brings question marks? What word is being used that maybe you need to define or you're just making those clear observations from the text and I just love that she brings about that that's where the meat of the study is when something that you said earlier we're we're drawn to application we want to know how to fix what we what's going on in our lives right now we want that quick and easy application but really the gold is in the observation and just coming to know God and what he has for us and his will and his plan and that's going to happen in that early stage of just observing what what's written there in the text and then um, stage two is interpretation where we're going to be doing cross-referencing maybe the book of Hebrews it quotes a passage from Psalms Psalms and so we'll go back and read that with a cross-reference and we'll get some helpful tools with knowing a little bit more about the author of the book or the historical context of those receiving and then also paraphrasing just taking what we see in the text paraphrasing it and then lastly applications then we're able to say how do I respond to this how does this apply to me and that part happens naturally because of all the work we've done we've done before so what tell us about the five yeah so that is perfect you've completely um, explain the process, which is one of those five P's. But um, so the five P's are, I love that she has given us a simple way to understand it. First, we are looking for the purpose of the text. And so we have to look at the outside, the the zoom out and see the big lens that this is a story about God and his work. So it's about the fall. It's about um redemption and restoration. And when we're coming to a text, we're always going to look for, what does this tell me? Oh, and also creation, which, which we were talking about in Genesis. But, you know, so what do we, what is this telling me? Where does this fit in that big story? And then we can zoom more in and look at what is this actual book that we're studying? What's the context with, with which it was written? And then there is the, the patience, which is something that was is really hard to overcome for a lot of us, but it is the most precious to me at um this stage has become so valuable, and that is the the patience to come back to the text every day and just and just to sit with it and so, like you said, the observation where is a big meet a big chunk of time I spend right there, maybe three or four days 
just trying to understand what is the text saying. And then I move on to interpretation in the last day or two before filling out these certain questions like, what does this tell me about who God is? How should I respond to that um, as in light of who I am? So, but that's how, um, that's so beautifully put at the beginning of her book is that the Bible is a book about God and we're learning who he is. Um, Any relationship that we have in life with humans takes that, like um, I fall in love with somebody as I get to know them. But if we, how are we to love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, then he gives us that gift. He gives us the gift of his word. And that is where we get to learn how to love him with all our mind first and foremost, our mind helps us to and in and informs our heart and changes our soul and our spirit. There's the patience and the process. And then the last is prayer. Prayer is the other, the last of the five Ps. Each time that we come to the scripture, we pray. We pray um, for the Holy Spirit to minister to us and to and to teach us who He is. And in the middle of of my study, I pray then. I pray when I am challenged and it doesn't make sense. Or I pray whenever I'm getting distracted, like, Lord, help me. You see, I, you see that my efforts are here, but I'm distracted. Or maybe there are days I don't have desire. And then to end our time with prayer. And um, so those are, those are the five Ps. I think we have gone through four books of the Bible this way. Um, but it is so precious and his word has really seeped into my heart. And so when I'm in the middle of something, scripture comes back up and I can remember it. Thank you for sharing those. I think that will be really helpful for a lot of people to hear just what the method is that we're talking about. The biggest thing I feel like you brought out is that our minds inform our hearts and when we know God deeply, then we're able to love Him as He's commanded. The greatest commandment to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love others as we would love ourselves. And those are the two important commandments that Jesus sheds light on. And so I know that those those should be important for us as well. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Well, Shannon, you know, we all go through bad days and you spend so much of your life ministering to other women but sometimes we're not having a good day or sometimes we're not having a good week so when you're having a bad day or a bad week what motivates you to continue pouring into other women well yeah so Romans 8 you know my my mind set is of the spirit and it's in life and peace and I'm not saying that I don't deal with hard things because I do We've learned bad days and bad moments. Those are a given in this life. And my time in scripture just has transformed my thoughts. So I stay rooted in his word. And that helps me to stand strong in those trials. Even when I'm depleted in certain ways or my heart is broken um, for things that are going on, it doesn't stop me from sharing the goodness of Christ with others and sharing um, the wisdom that I have for others. We all meet the needs of each other. And, you know, I know that if I'm not rooted in Christ and his word, then when I have those trials, I would fall apart. I've done it. I, I live that way. But those trials do help us grow. He comforts and transforms us. So for me, um, I wouldn't question not pouring into another woman. It just naturally happens because um, I can stand strong in the middle of those trials. 
Shannon, that is so good. I love how you brought up how the the Word of God really shapes how you live in community. It informs how you minister to women and, and then also how your time in the community with with fellow believers in Christ, how that kind of also helps feed your time with the Word because it motivates you and gives you perseverance and because we bear with one another and we encourage one another and so that brings you back to the word of God and a desire to to grow in his likeness so that I feel like they just they each feed yes. each other. you know Acts chapter 2 verse 42 it's like it's biblical it's the basis for the church it is where we learn it's fellowship having those common values in that common spirit um, those meeting the needs and praying together you know, First Thessalonians, um, verse two, talks about the infection, affection for someone that you you would share the gospel with them, but also you would share yourself. And so, because they are dear, um, I want to share in their struggles, and I want to open myself up to share um, the ways I've struggled. You know, Revelations twelve eleven talks about the enemy is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So we share common struggles and we have common conditions of our heart and we are able to comfort one another and encourage our faith and, and to share truth. It's just the, the, the rhythm of being a Christ follower and just the note that we can't do that alone. We weren't meant to, we were meant to have a relationship with the Lord and with his people. Yes, we are brought into the family of God. I think in Hebrews 4, it says that we are his possession. And that's just such a beautiful thought to think about how God has um, put together this community of his children and how we can love God and love each other um, is just another thing that we can be grateful to God about. And it just it reminded me of Romans uh, chapter 12, verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And just, I just love how it expresses those gifts, how we're to be used in community and God gives us gifts to minister to one another and serve one another. I shared, you don't know yet, but in the welcome, I share, uh, in the intro, I share a little bit about you and what you're doing, and just, I love to see you using your gifts, your God-given gifts to serve, and that that's why, that's why we're here, and that's what God has called us to do, and really, that's what brings about genuine happiness in our life. Absolutely. And absolutely absolutely me too I'm so yes. grateful for community because you know we've talked about we can't stand alone and so I think a lot of times too this walk of faith we um can can tend to think that um I have to hide my flaws the ways that I lack but that's that's not what we're called to at all we are like you said called to be humbled and um 
humility and to be a part of the body. And so when we're able to let our walls down and we share struggles that we've been through or we share those common thoughts, like so we hear someone, you know, they come to us and, and this is where they're struggling. When we're able to open up and share that we've been there, that is where we allow the we're opening and inviting God's grace to be poured in into that moment right there. This is where the gospel gets to um, be on display. You, every day we, we need the gospel to preach to ourselves to stay firm and, and stay rooted. Um, the gospel isn't just for, for an unbeliever to hear and that's it. But every day we can um, stand and be re- we need to be reminded of what that means for us and our need for it. Yes, we all need that gospel message individually and for for us to proclaim and to preach and to share with others the goodness of God's grace and mercy that we've received and that we long for our friends and family and anyone who doesn't know Jesus to receive as well. That's why I wanted to do this podcast. That is why we're here is the good news of Jesus and that he is our rescuer and that he he is the redeemer and how beautiful he is. We need that refreshing truth every day. Well, we're going to end it off with the question that I try to end every episode with, or we'll try to end every episode with, and that is why is the word enough? So why is the word of God enough? Why should it be our primary resource for relationship with God? I would say the biggest is because God has given us this gift and this is how he reveals his truth and who he is and um, gives us a, a firm footing to stand on something to trust in that is eternal. A verse that you and I have shared with each other back and forth over and over again. And especially when we went through the book of Romans together is this Romans five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through him. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that sufferings produce endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. I think that is the perfect passage to wrap up everything that we've talked about today and what you said about the word of God is enough because we can stand on it. We can rejoice in it and it gives us hope. And that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Amen. Yes. Shannon, I've just been so blessed by our friendship, this conversation, I, I pray that it is a blessing to many others. So Shannon, I know you are prayerfully working on a new project that is going to bless so many women of faith. You're praying through that. You're working on that diligently. And I know it's going to bless many. So we'll have to have you back on when that gets going and so you can share with the listeners more. About I would that. love we'll that. I would so now. love to be able to share what's going on. I thank you so much for having me on and for being a part of my life and growing in our faith together, just as um, we were given the gift to do. Your friendship is just such a blessing to me. And this podcast is also a blessing. Thank you, Shannon. And thanks again for coming on the show. Well, everybody, 
That concludes another episode of The Word is Enough. Have a good day.